Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Now, now today, uh, it's fitting that we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for six weeks now titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. What we're very practically, we're talking about how well you and I might go about unhurrying our lives. Because the truth is, most of us, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, we've had an inkling for quite a while now that while this breakneck pace that we've been navigating our rather limited amount of time on this earth might be normal in our Western world, it can't, right, it can't possibly be good for us. And for most of us, we're just not sure how to break the cycle to, to get out. I mean, is that even possible? For some of you, think about this. You've been so rushed, you've been so hurried that that you haven't even felt like you can slow down enough to even honestly answer that question, to, to explore if, it, if it's even possible. Well, well fortunately for, for you and I, not, not only is it possible, it's, it's actually been modeled for us. Not, not only proving to us that it's possible, but, but showing us that it's just, well, better. And, and as it would turn out, Jesus offers us more than just moral principles to live by. He, he offers us a, a lifestyle to emulate. And this is key. He doesn't command us to live in this manner. No, rather, he invites us to adopt these day-to-day rhythms that made up his existence. And I think whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, you ought to take him up on his invitation, on his offer. And I know that I'm supposed to say that given my day job, but just think about this logically. We're talking about the guy who would willingly exchange his life for, for your sin. The God of the universe who would, who would get off of his throne in heaven for you. That, that's how much he cares about you. That's how much he loves you. That, that's how much he, he wants what is best for you. See, a, a worthwhile question that every one of us ought to ask is, hey, if he, Jesus, would give up his life for me, what else might he have waiting for me? I mean, right? He's already proved how for you he is. So, so why wouldn't you and I trust him when he says, hey, you want to experience the free and, and the light way of life that, that you see in me? Well, do what I do. Live like, like I lived. As we've been asking, what, what do you really have to lose? I mean, why not hand Jesus the keys for at least a season and, and see how it goes? I mean, after all, hasn't it been your own life, not this message, not this series, that, that has kind of shown you that how you're currently operating, it's, it's not really working? But might it be time to, to give Jesus a shot? I mean, God in the flesh, he who would have died for you if it, if it was just you. So, so we've been speaking super practically about those day-to-day rhythms, often referred to as spiritual disciplines that, that made up Jesus's life. Because again, after all, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, if you haven't been here for, for each week of this series, uh, I'd highly encourage you to catch yourself up at grumla.com slash messages. It's been a very, very practical one. Uh, or as always, you can find us under Grumla Church, wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. But today, 
we get to wrap up this series by talking about some of the most practical habits yet. I honestly was thinking about this. I don't know that I've ever uh, given a message that will be more practical and hands-on than the one that I'm going to be giving here today. Uh, collectively, all of this that we're going to be speaking about today, we're going to refer to this as, as slowing. And what some of you smart people will inevitably point to as we walk through this list is, hey, wait a minute, this stuff isn't in the Bible. And and Christians, by the way, we love to do this. And and if you're new to this whole Christianity thing and and this has ever annoyed you or like kind of irked you in the wrong way, I'll just tell you, you're right. Christians, we love to play the, I don't have to listen to this because it's not explicitly written in the Bible game. See, a foundational truth that that I'm not going to assume everyone is aware of, and for some, it's going to forever debunk that little game that you're playing with God and others, Uh, but the Bible was never intended to be a complete list of do's and and don'ts. The, The Bible, it rather tells the story of a perfect God chasing after his imperfect, rebellious creation culminating with the Father in the most audacious display of love that this world has ever seen or known, sending his one and only Son down to this earth in order to not pay us back, but to win us back. And so the Bible is rather, it's filled with principles so that we might more intentionally live into our created design and in turn actually experience true joy, true contentment, true peace. And then as like a bonus, as, as a kindness, that there happen to be a bunch of examples laced throughout this text that we call, again, the Bible. Here's my point. When Jesus was roaming around the earth, that there weren't smartphones, or televisions, or Amazon.com, or, or cars, or, or, or Taco Bells that were open for 24 hours. See, if all of that existed back then, I'm thinking that maybe God would have given us some examples with that other stuff intertwined in there, rather than all of his analogies about livestock and, and farming. But, but fortunately for us, he also, you ready for this? He gives us brains, and this thing called a conscience so that we might intuitively be steered towards that which is best for us and away from that which will ultimately cause us and the people around us harm, and most importantly, the stuff that might damage our relationship with God himself. Remember, more than anything else, he he just wants you. We've talked throughout this series that arguably the most succinct way to describe Jesus during his time on this earth was, was present. And if you're anything like me as a follower of Jesus living in 21st century technology-driven America, that this is likely something that you struggle with. Because the truth is, as we talked about last week, we just have too much stuff to live into an unhurried, God-designed life and pace. There's this story that's documented for us in the book of Mark. It's one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, where uh, the synagogue leader, think of him as a church leader, comes to Jesus because his, his daughter is dying and he's exhausted all of these other avenues by which his daughter might be healed. And in, in a last ditch effort, he hears about this guy named Jesus, who's the supposed miracle worker. And he thinks, maybe if I can get this guy into my house in front of my daughter, maybe she will be healed. And so he goes and he finds Jesus, he tracks him down. And fortunately for him, Jesus says, yeah, I'll go into your house and I'll take a look. But along the way, as he's literally headed to Jairus's house to heal his daughter, he also kind of takes a bit of a detour, a pit stop, and he heals a woman who had been suffering from, from bleeding for 12 years. Now, this is a big problem in that hyper-religious culture. Because not only really practically speaking, did it just kind of freak people out? They're like, goodness, you've just been bleeding constantly for, for 12 years. It, it also made her ceremonially unclean, 
which meant that she couldn't enter into the temple, which meant that she couldn't be close to God. She couldn't enter into the presence of God. She, she couldn't be around anything that, that God had kind of put his hands upon. So, so not only was she separate from all these people, like everyone, like outcast, but, but she couldn't even get close to her, her creator. It could have not been more isolating for, for this woman. We, we pick up in Mark chapter five, verse 26. It says, she, this woman had suffered a great deal from, from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But, but, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. For some of you, that, that, that strikes way too close to home. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. That's the kind of faith, by the way, that God honors, that honors God, that that, that stirs up the the miraculous, that that ushers in God's presence. And, And immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of of her terrible condition. Her her faith, as Jesus is about to point out, had had made her well. But but then what happens next is sort of interesting. Jesus starts looking around and he's going, who who touched me? And his disciples are like, are you crazy? Like everywhere you go, there's people trying to reach out and touch you. There's all these people, we're we're going through a massive crowd that are bumping up against you. Like, like, are you serious? Like everyone's touching you right now, but he's insistent. And eventually this this trembling, scared woman because of everything that she had experienced with the religious people. And and maybe that's you watching today. You are terrified to, to walk through the doors of a place like this because of what you have experienced with religious people. And I will tell you, I am sorry. That is not Jesus. But, but trembling, scared, she comes forward. It says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees. I and mean, she collapses in front of Jesus and told him what she had done. And, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering it is over. And imagine the tenderness of this moment as Jesus gets on her level. He touches her. Nobody has dared laid a finger on her in years. And he shows her a love that she has not felt in 12 long, agonizing years. It would have felt like a lifetime. And this doesn't happen if not for Jesus's intentional, present, interruptible pace. He did, by the way, remember, I started out setting up this story about this guy named Jairus and his daughter. He did go and heal Jairus's daughter. And, and for a quick second, let's detour. Imagine being in Jairus's shoes in this moment. I mean, yes, it would have been cool to witness this miracle, but, but you're losing your mind, right? Because your daughter, like she's like moments left on this earth. You're like, Jesus, we got to get going like, like now. Imagine how much shorter the, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would have been if not for Jesus's willingness to be interrupted, his willingness to put people ahead of tasks, never in a rush, never in a hurry, always present. Now, imagine all that, that you and I are missing, the miracles, the, the presence, the power of God at work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us because we're in such a dang hurry. You see this all laced throughout scripture and in fact, in the lives of people right here in this faith community, God rarely forces himself upon us. 
he already made the gigantic move of getting off of his throne in heaven, that then offering his life for, for our sin to show us how much he longs to be a part of our lives. And, and now it's on us to turn to him, to, to, to reorient and, and live our lives in, in such a way and, and, and to live at such a pace that we're attuned to his prompts, to his nudges, to his, to his workings, to his small, still voice. And if we want to usher that in, that is, we want to experience the life of Jesus, then we have to live like Jesus lived. We have to constantly ask, hey, what, what would Jesus do if he were me? And that definitely means living differently than, than the world around us. So we're going to walk through right now some principles, some habits that are going to help slow us down. And I want us to keep in mind that the guiding, the, the overarching theme here is slow down your body, slow down your life. Remember, it would be God himself who would teach us that our, our mind and our body aren't separate from one another, that, that they are one. Like that's literally how he has designed us. So again, just general principle of life, you slow down your body, you take a step physically, generally speaking, the rest of your life follows suit. And, and again, as we walk through this list, there's not a verse for this stuff. So if you want to roll your eyes at it and dismiss it, that's fine. But for the rest of you, I'm trying to live. Shape risk. I'm trying to live like Jesus lived. And in turn, get in on the peace and the joy and the contentment that he offers to me, that he offers to you. So any of you who are looking for that, and deep down we all are, go ahead and hop on board the, the, the slow train. All right. Now, again, what I'm going to say here is you don't have to adopt all of these. Like, again, you can definitely pick and choose. Remember, it's all about freedom, not more rules and restrictions. And, and just like last week, a lot of these I stole right from John Mark Comer's book, which I will one more time, this is my final plea. If you have not bought that book, which bears the same title of the series, please go, please go hop on Amazon, buy that thing, read it. It has so much more to say on, again, this content that we've been covering here in this series. But we're going to walk through this list. There are 14 of them. If you're wondering why 14, there's no good reason. But if you need a biblical reason, seven was kind of the perfect number. Seven times two is 14. We did it. All right. Number one, uh, drive the speed limit. Drive the speed limit. F full disclosure, uh, this, when, when I first read this book, and I adopted most of these like straight away because I was just like, my life is way too frantic. I had an honest evaluation and I was just like, I, I, so I'm going to do what people who are wiser than me do. Uh, this was really, really hard. But, but I honestly had to evaluate and ask myself, like, do I, <laughs> do I actually need to speed or has it just kind of become like this, this rushed habit that I just do for the sake of doing? Like it's just become default, hurry for the sake of hurry. It's wild how this in particular, and again, I'm speaking for myself. Well, when I drive the speed limit in the morning, and most mornings I really do, it has this sort of spillover effect for the rest of my day. Number two, we're going to stay on the driving theme here. I completely stop at, at stop signs. Now, now, it's worth noting that the next time that you actually attempt to do this, take a second to just kind of reflect on, on how difficult this is to actually come to a complete stop. And, and remember that the sentiment behind all of this is, is unhurrying our lives. So again, some people will astutely point out like, this isn't in and of itself going to change my life. Of course not. But, but you have to acknowledge that there is undoubtedly a cumulative effect of all these little hurried habits that have built up in our lives. And, and we're trying to chip away at them one at a time. Uh, number three, again, staying on the uh, driving here thing, don't text and drive. Uh, in addition to putting the lives of the people around you in danger, literally think about that, hurry is, is literally killing us. It, it fuels those, those little digital dopamine hits that we get throughout the day. And this right here, it gives us yet another opportunity to say, phone, you don't own me. 
I, I own you, or at least I'm trying to move that direction. It, it forces you to be more present. It, I frankly just take in the beauty of, of all the creation that is around you as you drive. Again, there was a day where that was just normal, where you would drive and look around and notice nature and that the trees changing colors, all these sorts of things around you rather than just staring at your phone. Uh, number four, show up 10 minutes early to appointments without y- your phone. Uh, so yeah, there, don't ignore that last part. Stop bringing your phone into appointments with you and, and get there early. And you might ask, but well, why? One, it's just, I think, good to have these moments where we pause throughout our days. And again, we're, we're just forcing ourselves to be present and take in our surroundings. But, but inevitably, you'll sit there and you'll be twiddling your thumbs. And for the followers of Jesus, I think we ought to spend that time in prayer. It, it was years ago that, that a friend of mine had challenged me. He's like, hey, do you pray for every time uh, you're about to intentionally sit down with someone? And I was like, man, I have like gotten away with from that. So, so this doesn't matter whether it's with a coworker, or whether it's with a superior, a boss, whether it's with a friend, whoever. Imagine how much more rich those times will be with those individuals if you're inviting God and his presence into those appointments. Uh, Number five, step into the first open checkout line at the grocery store. Uh, Gone are the days of painstakingly evaluating which one of these is going to be the fastest. Just get into whatever line is open. And and here's the motivation. It's wise to regularly deny ourselves from getting what we want. That way, as John Mark Comer, again, author of the book that bears the same title of this series, as he wisely points out, when somebody else denies us from getting what we want, we don't respond in anger. And you don't get to that point by accident. You have to train your body, train your mind, one small step, one checkout line at a time. Uh, Number six, and this is the one we're gonna park for the the longest here this morning. Uh, Make your smartphone dumber, okay? And and I'm just gonna kind of give us just some rapid fire, so some quick hits here uh, on what I mean by this. Number one, uh, I'm gonna challenge you to take email off your phone altogether. I will just tell you firsthand experience, this has been life-changing for me when I took email off my phone because I cannot tell you, and I've shared this before, that the number of times where I would be at home, usually at the end of the day with my wife, with my kids, totally present, having an awesome time, and then I get that little notification, which we're going to talk about here in a second, and I'd read an email and it was like Shay just got sucked out of the room. And I had to ask myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, yes, it might very well still ruin my Tuesday morning, but it doesn't need to ruin my Monday night with my wife and my kids, the people who are most important to me. And I often get a lot of pushback on this because a lot of you, you frankly tricked yourself into thinking, and I'm gonna put this very plainly, into thinking that you are more important than you actually are. You think that you have to respond to these emails within five minutes of them hitting your inbox, but the reality is, is you've put yourself in that corner. Nobody placed that expectation upon you. That's something that, again, you have put on yourself. So again, take email off of your phone altogether. I've been doing this now for about three years, and I can tell you there have been exactly zero moments where I've been tempted to put it back on. Uh, Next thing I would encourage you is implement screen time. Talked about this many, many times. Uh, I will never understand why about, it was a couple of years ago, Apple introduced in one of their app updates and one of their iOS updates, Uh, This implementation of screen time where you're notified about how much time you're actually spending on your phone. And and if you would so choose, uh, you can put app restrictions on your phone so you don't just spend all this time wasting time on on these apps. And again, it's a head scratcher for me because I thought uh, the iPhone's entire intent was to get us to spend more time on that thing. But nonetheless, it, it is there. And so for a lot of you, you already know, but you can literally scroll over into your screen time and see which apps you are spending the the most time on and and wage war against those things. 
I actually declared, this is how much time I'm going to spend within these apps. Now, for me, the ones that I was wasting the most time on were, were social media, and predictably so. And, and so now, my, my daily limit on, on all social media apps is, is 10 minutes uh, or about two trips to the bathroom, okay? So put those app restrictions on there. And again, as a bonus, you have to give your phone to somebody else so that they set up what that four-digit passcode is. Because for some of you, uh, you've done this. You set it up. But, but then they kind of bait you into it. When you get at the end of those 10 minutes, for instance, they're like, would you like to spend more time? And you're like, well, yes, I would. And then you just punch in that four-digit code and it turns out that you don't have the willpower that you once thought that you had. Uh, my wife is the only one that has that four-digit passcode. Uh, and if I want more time on those apps or need more time on those apps, she has to be the one to punch in that code. On top of that, I would encourage all of you to implement downtime. Uh, that is stop allowing your phone to rob you of your presence with the people that matter the most. It, usually that comes at night and, and in the mornings. So, so downtime, again, is another feature with an iOS uh, where you can basically shut down your entire phone for a certain period of time. For me, very practically, that's 6 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. Even if I have three minutes left on social media, it doesn't matter. At that point, everything shuts down on my phone except for the Bible app, and you can choose these. Uh, navigation, so in case I'm driving and I need to find out how to get places, and my phone itself. Everything else, it's done. I'm not able to use it whatsoever. If I want to be able to use those apps, I have to, again, go to my wife and get her to punch in that four-digit code. Uh, on top of all this, I would encourage you to disable all notifications on your phone. I didn't even know that you could do this until I was reading this book, but you don't have to receive a notification every time you receive a text, for instance. And it's incredible, again, the tyranny of the urgent, how we feel like because a little bubble pops up on our phone and a little sound alerts us, well, we got to respond right away. Again, you have more than likely put that precedent on yourself. Nobody else is really expecting that of you. So disable all notifications. And then on top of that, delete all time-wasting apps. I've heard this said many times uh, by people who are far wiser than me, that you should not have more than two pages worth of apps. Anything more than that, you've just gotten excessive and, and you don't get to cheat here and then like put them in all like those subcategories. So you really have like 18 pages, but you've just consolidated them. Okay. No more than two pages worth. Delete all those time wasting apps, put on the restrictions, downtime, screen time, all of it. For, for some of you, I want to challenge you. It's time to ditch the smartphone altogether. What we're seeing this actually as a movement actually right now in our culture, more and more people taking this step. It is sobering when you first look at that, that number and, and see how much time you are wasting every day just staring at your phone. Uh, for me, my personal goal is to keep it under an hour and 30 minutes, 90 minutes total, which for some of you, if you've never looked at your screen time, you think that sounds egregious uh, until you go and look at how much time you're spending on there. And then you're like, oh, dang, it's a lot. If you're spending consistently four, five, six plus hours a day on your phone, it might time to might be time to really declare war on your phone, get rid of it altogether, switch to a light phone or a flip phone, and man, you'll be fitting in with all the people in the old folks' home. Number seven, keep your phone off until after your daily encounter. Uh, an interesting statistic, 90% of people look at their phones before they do anything else in the morning. I mean, their alarm goes off or maybe they actually got to sleep in that day, and the very first thing they do, 90% of people, they reach and begin aimlessly scrolling on their phone. And my invitation uh, to all of you would be let prayer and the scripture set your tone for the day rather than that text from mom or a coworker or, or, or whatever news headline detailing how the world has gone to hell as you were sleeping, okay? So keep your phone off until after that daily encounter. Number eight, uh, designate times for email. Uh, the reality is, is nobody emails in an emergency, 
if, if your house was being broken into, you, you wouldn't email 911, you would call. And again, chances are you have put yourself into this trap that you think you're more important than, than you actually are. So select times each day will you, when you will actually respond to email and, and have it be the times, I'll put this out there, when you're typically the most unproductive. Because the reality is you don't need to be firing on all cylinders to reply to email. So for me in the morning, that, that's my most productive time. That's when I write sermons. It's when I need the most brain space. So, so I don't want to waste that time responding to emails. And so for me, I do it at noon and, and four o'clock. Now, I haven't been perfect at this because it's tempting when, when you get that, again, notification on your laptop and you're like, oh my gosh, I got a reply. Or you see that that person emailed and you've been waiting to hear from them, but, but resist it. You might be more important than me, so it might have to be more frequent, but, but for exactly zero of us does it need to be constant, where every time you read an email, you stop what you're doing and you're immediately replying to it. Uh, number nine, death to television. I, I feel like I'm going to be giving the same talk five years from now, and, and I'm just going to be telling you all very plainly to just rip those things off the wall. I, I feel like I get closer by the day. But I want to encourage you to, to start by deleting some of your subscriptions. Like, uh, honestly, and this comes from a financial standpoint as well. Do you really need like five, six? Do you really need Hulu and, and Peacock and Paramount Plus and Netflix and Disney Plus, like all this? For, for the Pris crew, and some of you, you're not going to love that I'm saying this, but, but this began with us with, with getting rid of Disney Plus. I, I had to ask myself, how, how many times am I going to allow Disney to betray my trust? and continue to, frankly, try to indoctrinate my kids. So that one, well, you're, you're the first one to go. Then it was Paramount Plus, and then it was a couple of others. And so now uh, my wife and I, I don't think I should be proud of this because I still have multiple ones. We're down to Peacock because I really love those super fan episodes of The Office and, and YouTube TV because I still, I, I can't get over my live sports. Uh, but get rid of those ones where you waste the most time. I, I've heard people say, well, today is a Netflix day. And they literally just spend the entire day watching Netflix. You, you probably ought to get rid of Netflix because there's probably never a day where it's a good idea to literally spend the entire day watching uh, TV. Now, a bit of a footnote on this, and I, I almost didn't put this in because it's so convicting for myself as well. Um, but, but what do we suppose Jesus would say today if, if he was the one speaking right now? Right? Like, don't, don't we think it's more likely that he'd be like, you've willingly allowed this device, this thing into your home that that more times than not, it provides a steady stream of greed and lust and, and debauchery into your living room? I mean, wouldn't he be like, hey, didn't, didn't I actually pretty blatantly teach on this one? Are you going to flirt or are you going to flee? At the very least, I would encourage all of you, and I've been advocating for this for, for years amongst this faith community, predetermine the amount of television that you'll watch in a given week and, and really stick to it which requires you, by the way, to honestly evaluate how much time you're currently watching. And, and that'll be a sobering exercise and start by, by chopping it in half. Number 10, I'm not going to spend much time here, uh, adopt a Sabbath. We, we spent an entire uh, Sunday already talking about this one, but predetermine a 24-hour period of time each week where you will force yourself to be present with loved ones and, and family. And that starts with no phone, no technology, no computer. You literally have to put that stuff in jail for those 24 hours. So spend time with Jesus. Get outside. Enjoy some good food. Do that which brings life to your soul. The type of stuff that inevitably leads you thinking, I wish I had more time to do more of that. For some of you, that, that might mean that it's time to pick back up that hobby that's been forced to the fringes because, again, your life has gotten so busy. Uh, number 11 introduce a journal into your daily encounter. 
And for some of you, you've never done this. And the easiest way to start, journal every single day, hey, where did I most feel God's presence over the last 24 hours? And then simultaneously, where did I feel most distance from God over the last 24 hours? So again, two questions. Where did I feel God's presence most over the last 24 hours? And where did I feel most distant from God over the last 24 hours? And then write down one takeaway from what it is that you just read in the scriptures. And again, if you've never consistently read time and spent time in the scriptures, just read a chapter a day. And it is incredible how this practice right here, it forces you to be more present during your quiet time. It exposes the religiosity and they're just like, okay, I'm just checking the box to check the box and say that I did it. It forces you to be more attuned to the voice of God. Number 12, take longer vacations. If you're anything like me, it, it takes at least four days for me to actually unwind, to, to stop thinking about work and actually be present with my wife, be present with my kids, be present with my family. And, and that happens to usually be the time where we say, well, it's time to get home. And, and so rather than sprinkling vacation days out throughout the year, which I get that logic, every bit of research says it's actually better to lump that time together. Uh, this year, for instance, for my family, over the 4th of July, I'm going to take the longest vacation that I have ever taken with my family. We're going to be gone for 13 days. And uh, it, it was harder for me to, to actually get myself to schedule that than, than I would have thought, which in and of itself was a little telling. Uh, number 13, get away with just your spouse. I promise this is the only one that, that doesn't apply to everyone. Uh, a buddy of mine, Josh Howerton, who pastors down in Texas, he says there's a difference between trips and vacations. He said trips are the vacations that we go on with our kids. Vacations are, are when it's just me and, and my wife. Uh, again, obviously just for the married people, but, but you need this time with only your spouse. Don't, don't get me wrong, I love my kids so much. And I love going on trips with my kids, but, but I'm not afraid to admit it's far more life-giving when it's just me and, and Andrea for, for a lot of different reasons. So, so we do this, we try to build this into our rhythm twice a year. We take one longer trip that's around five, six days, and then at least one weekend getaway as well. Uh, number 14, eat more home-cooked meals around the dinner table. And the dinner table here is key. Uh, shout out, honestly, to my wife for bringing this back because, man, we had let this slip uh, at some point in our marriage. And again, at the dinner table, I think this goes without saying, no phones, no technology. It's just conversation with family. It's incredible uh, how much was getting missed, at least in the Prisk home, because we didn't have this designated time to sit around the table as a family and just, and just talk. And again, it's so much more than just good food prepared by your own hands, though that's part of it. But what, more, what is more important is the conversation that ends up ensuing. And for those of you who have little ones, people in Grumlaw Kids, uh, literally the parent cue, the app, the handouts that are given to your children, there's literally cues for you guys to talk about at dinner. It might be time to, again, but bring that into it. Make sure that the conversations that are beginning on Sunday mornings are continuing throughout the week. It forces you to be present with the people that you love the most. Now, you might be sitting here and you're like, I hate this list. That's, that's okay. I, I just try to put stuff on here that's been life-giving for me. But, but you might have a different list. But my challenge to you would be to just come up with the list and actually start doing the stuff on that list. Ruthlessly eliminating hurry, it does require you to do something. Or, or perhaps better stated, stop doing somethings. If we continue to follow the pattern of this world, we'll be conformed into the image of this world. As followers of Jesus, if we'd like to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ, then, then we have to do what he did. We have to live as, as he lived. And as I'll remind us one more time, this is where he's taking us. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is what Jesus is, is inviting you into. The unhurried, present, restful, easy life. Well, let us be a people who take him up on, on his invitation. Well, let us go to him and, and find rest for our souls.